Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul here from Connecticut, and a very special guest from Australia, Nikesh Minon, a longtime listener of the podcast and a massive, massive Manchester United fan. Welcome to the Premier Chelsea, Nikesh. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, much appreciated. It is a big, big honor to be here and uh, can't wait to get started with uh, some of our analysis and look forward to speaking about the game. Yeah, you've come on a great week when we're playing Manchester United, but we have a lot to cover today. So Rahul, I'll bring you in. Why don't you take us through the Champions League review first? Yeah, also known as the Olivier Giroud show. <laughs> Uh, before we get started, welcome Nikesh and thanks for joining us and uh, would love to get your insight on the Champions League game as well. So uh, look forward to the next hour or so we'll spend together. So starting off with the Champions League, uh, we kind of expected this lineup and formation from Tuchel. He went with a back three once again. Mendy in goal, Espelicueta, Christensen came back into the lineup, Rudiger, in defense, Hudson Adoy, who had a little incident in the Southampton game, started this game, which was good to see. Jorginho Kovacic in midfield, Alonso left wing back, Mason Mount, Timo Werner, and Olivier Giroud up top. Yeah, so a pretty strong lineup, and I'm excited personally for Callum because we talked a lot about him in the previous episode, and him having, quote-unquote, some issues with Tuchel, but that seems to be put under the bed, which... We complained a lot about it, but I'm glad that that's put to the side now and he's back in starting lineup. And overall, I think him at right wing back, he had a decent game. He actually had a lot of output and a lot of performance. But again, strong lineup, and we got the results in the end of the day, right? We did, and I'd like to bring the cash in because you and I had strong opinions on the Hudson Adoy piece. Uh, it's just just someone who doesn't support Chelsea, but you know, seeing as a fan of the game, what did you make of that substitution, the cash? Look, uh, for, for me, I, I never think that a player who comes on should be taken off unless they're absolutely atrocious. And, um, you know, Hudson Adoy came in. I felt he injected some sort of urgency into the attack. And, uh, you know, I did, I did notice that uh, Tuchel actually went to a 3 4 1 2 as opposed to his 3 4 2 1 when Hudson Adoy was there, meaning that Mount was just free roaming all around the pitch. Um, I felt he was most dangerous in against Southampton, obviously, with um, Mount roaming wherever he liked and Hudson-Odoi and Timo making runs in behind. But I guess uh, Tuchel saw something we didn't. And, uh, you know, I guess he's he's the manager. But I, again, like I, I can't think of any positives that would give to the team. You know, it's either the the dressing room just wondering you know if you know stepping on eggshells or if uh you know Hudson Adoy comes in next game and he he's just not motivated for Tuchel I I don't think you can get a good response from that and um again that's just my opinion no we we agree with you and that's how we felt but you know he started him in the Atletico Madrid game and like Jackie said, he performed well defensively and in attack. And I think 
the whole time he was on, which was about 75, 80 minutes, uh, he was running, he was pressing, uh, as well as the rest of the team. So I think he took it in his stride, and that was the biggest concern for us was how does he react, but he did well. So that was good. And the other thing in this game, Jackie, was we had spoken about Olivier Giroud. Uh, you know, why didn't he start against Southampton? But he came in and did a decent job and caps his performance off with a beautiful goal. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. You're right. We discussed that quite a bit because I'm a big fan of Giroud and I was a little bit disappointed that he didn't get to start the Southampton game. But obviously you're right. He was being quote unquote rested for this particular game. And the first half, I must be very honest, even though we control a lot of the ball and control a lot of the possession, we didn't do so much. Giroud or not Giroud up front. It wasn't too many magical things happening. It's a Champions League night. It's a way it's in Bucharest. You would imagine that a lot of things were going to go down, but it was kind of quiet. I know there was things, bits and pieces, but you had messaged me that we are playing too much left to right, left to right, left to right. And I think a little bit of credit needs to be given to Atletico, especially for that first half on how well they play defensively. They want to make sure that nobody can break them down. And that's really what happened that first half. But now rolling into that second half, again, that goal that Giroud scored is something out of nothing. You talk about it was quote-unquote, a back pass from Atletico Madrid, landed to this man, and he just took his chance with a wonderful, wonderful bicycle kick. And I remember, you know, talking to my wife later in the evening saying, you scored a bicycle kick. And she goes, what's a bicycle kick? And I said, you need to watch this to understand what he did in this game. Now, VAR did play a quick part. And interesting enough, they didn't show us the replays, but came out clear. And I was excited to see that goal. Wow. If you go back and watch the goals that this man has scored over his career, there are some incredible goals he's added to his entire game. And it's it's something where I find him to be, you said this in the last particular episode, he's very, very dependable as a super sub. He started this game and he delivered. So I, I find him to be one of our strikers we can continuously count on. Absolutely. And as a World Cup winner, you know, he could easily be playing week in, week out at a different team, but he doesn't complain, doesn't moan. And whenever he gets his opportunities, he does well and scores the goals. And like you said, that goal, I mean, literally out of nothing, a reaction it was to the ball popping up and him just bicycle kick into the goal. And uh, I was excited when it went in. And trust me, I wasn't very excited throughout that whole game. So that got me out of out of my seat, and and even though VAR took three four minutes, and oddly enough, they didn't show the replay, so we didn't know what was going on. The referees were seeing it, and luckily, it came back and was a goal. But yeah, that was definitely the only one of the only ways we were going to get a goal because Atletico Madrid, like you said, were tight defensively, well organized, and in in a way, it's almost sad because it takes away from the spectacle of the game that two top teams coming up against each other but on the other hand it's two different styles coming up against each other and uh, Simeone prefers who played that way now could they have nicked a goal if he was a little more expansive absolutely but for us we get the win and we bring it back to London and hopefully we can see it through yeah, we skipped a point here that I want to bring Nikesh in on is they could have absolutely nicked a goal in the first minute when a back pass was played to Mendy and he seemed to have lost his feet. So Nikesh, you have a great, great goalkeeper over many, many years in David David De Gea and he really, really performs well. What are your thoughts on Mendy coming in to replace Kepa as number one? 
I think that it was necessary that you bought a keeper. I think Mendy is what you'd call a throwback keeper. Um, he does the job of what a goalkeeper should do. He stops the ball from going in. And, um, you know, I think in all the sort of modern day uh, football and modern day way of playing, I think a lot of keepers have needed to get better technically, get better with the ball at their feet. And what sometimes gets lost is the actual ability to shot stop. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what you got with Kepa. And I think, you know, partly he is very low on confidence and, you know, that needs to come back up because I think there's still a decent keeper, not a world record keeper, mind you. So uh, Chelsea uh, don't know what they were doing with that. That was a bit of a panic situation for us, but uh, you know, I think that Mendy is definitely one of the poorer keepers in the league um, with the ball at his feet. So with Tuchel wanting to employ his, his form of passing, um, I think Sideways FC was sort of uh, mooted as a as a as a nickname, but uh, he might he might look to slowly build Kepa back into uh, the lineup eventually. Is my long term opinion? Yeah, fair argument there, honestly. And I think some of the points you hit are correct because we need a goalkeeper that's going to be a shot stopper and do the basics correctly. But Rahul, a little bit of fear on some of the legwork for lack of a better term that he comes up with it really does send some shivers down my spine especially when we're trying to keep a clean sheet away on a champions league night i mean your thoughts i i 100 agree with nikesh he's good with uh what he's supposed to do which is stop the shots but we ask a little bit more from him in terms of knocking it around from the defenders to midfield and Sometimes if you press him, like we've seen, he has that mistake in him. And luckily he wasn't punished for that mistake in this game. But uh rest of the game, I think he did well and didn't let that get to him, which was key for me because with Kepa, like we've seen a few mistakes here and there, and then his confidence goes and we know how that goes. So Mendy was good overall. And I think uh he didn't have much to do, to be fair, after that first thing. I mean, no shots on target, which is bizarre in a Champions League game, but hey, we'll take it. And um, some of the negatives, like we're talking about, apart from the Mendy, is Mount yellow card so early in that ha- in the first half means he's suspended for the second leg. And Jorginho as well in the second half picks up a yellow, so he's suspended. Yeah, it's part of playing the game, unfortunately. And I think the Mount one was a little bit soft, maybe, too early in the game to be giving out a yellow card like that. But the Jorginho one was well, well-deserved, I think. He was beaten on pace and there was no way he was going to get back. I think it's a tactical foul and he had to take it. So it's interesting to see what's going to happen in the second leg. We obviously have Conte coming back. We have a whole row of attacking players sitting on the bench. I wonder who Tuchel's going to go on to replace Mount, but we definitely will miss him. So somebody else we need to talk about is Luis Suarez coming back into play against Premier League opposition and we talked a little bit about him in the previous game as being, I don't want to compare him to, to Giroud, but I'm going to, but aging like a fine wine and getting better with age. And he's having an impeccable record with Atletico, but he's not doing so well in the Champions League and that continues. So thoughts from you, Nikesh, to start off with? I think uh, Suarez is is still one of the top strikers in the world. There's no doubting that. 
and I think Barcelona really uh, did do him dirty. And um, you know, I think they they really have got something uh, wrong in the back room. Let's say um, this is still talking about Barcelona, obviously. But yeah, I mean, he's he's reinvented himself in Diego Simeone's system, and I think you put him between you put him between the the posts, and 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 that boy will score. But what he'll also do is harass and hound every inch of grass in front of him. And uh, you saw you saw at one point he, um, I think he got maybe a bit hungry for Rudiger. Um, excuse the pun, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, he, he he sort of sort of kicked out a little bit, but uh, yeah, these these are all just usual Suarez tactics to try to get under the um, defender's skin, but uh, didn't seem to work today, and nothing he did seem to pay off. And I think the sort of disparity between his goal scoring in La Liga and the Champions League tends to show a bit of a difference in how teams set up in La Liga versus the UCL and even the Premier League. Uh, as we saw, La Liga have done pretty horribly in uh, both the Europa League and UCL. So uh, maybe it's a shift in the way we're playing football today. And I think maybe some of these La Liga teams have come in a bit uh, naive. Yeah, agreed. And I, for one, I'm very, very glad that Suarez did not bite anybody, like you said. So that's exciting to start off with. He's stealing another... my puns. <laughs> <laughs> when you said he's aging like a fine wine, I was going to be like, but with a little bit more bite to him. <laughs> <laughs> Rahul, a couple of other interesting things we need to touch on is Aspilicueta has now played or seems to be a regular under Tuchel. I think he's gone well over 400 games for Chelsea at this point and doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. I mean, he seems to be performing really, really well, solid at the back. He's, in my opinion, he plays better in a back three just because he's lost a little bit of his pace, but he can play it right back as well. So thoughts on Aspilicueta and then give me a little bit of your feedback on Kante who came on in that second half. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on this because Aspilicueta is now 11th on the all-time list for Chelsea in terms of appearance. And from the day he walked in, I mean, we didn't know much about him. And to be honest, didn't even know how to say Espelicueta back in 2012. But uh, that's the man he's made his name at the club and proven himself as a leader, as a as a legend at this point, really. He's achieved everything that he could at the club and continues to, to perform and never hear a complaint, at least under Lampard when he wasn't playing, similar to Giroud. So... Congratulations to him, and I think at least a couple more seasons in him at this club for sure. And then on Conte, you know, 200 Chelsea appearances, and he's only been here, what, three or four years? Five years maybe at this point. Uh, And with the number of injuries he's had recently, that number could have been way higher. But we love Conte and, and the player that he is. So again, congratulations to him. Yeah, absolutely exciting to see players like this reach these milestones in their career because they're loyal servants, first of all, and they're ones that are dedicated and put in performances week in, week out. But last question for you guys, um, man of the match. I don't know if there's anybody else you want to give it to, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. I I mean, I for me, it was Giroud, but Espelicueta was solid throughout that whole game. And Christensen performed well, very well. And I think having Espelicueta next to him, 
helping him out definitely helps. So Giroud for me, but Espelo quite a close second. Yep, Nikesh? Uh, hesitant to give Chelsea player man of the match just because, uh, you know, they are our rivals. But, uh, you know, upon watching the match, I think, uh, I think you owe a lot of grunt work or sort of attacking work to Mason Mount, actually. So uh, I think, I know you've guys, you guys have, uh, you know, mentioned him a fair bit on the pod, but I think he's definitely been Chelsea's best player. And I think without him, you're going to, really see sort of the struggles of Tuchel's system without, for lack of a better player comparison, Neymar and Mbappe. Yeah, spot on. I was going to vote Mount in there as well. Giroud's goal was something out of nothing, and it's brilliant, and I love to see that. But Mount is the workhorse of this particular system. So spot on there, I agree with you. It's it's somebody we're going to miss immensely. But, you know... Moving on at this point, we want to talk a little bit about Manchester United, who played Europa League this week against Real Sociedad. Rahul, I think you have a starting lineup for us here, don't you? I do, and I'm going to let Nikesh touch on the second leg, but just coming in uh, to this game, he uh, Manchester United had won 4 nothing in the first leg, so Nikesh, this was just really a formality. Uh, but... You know, Bruno Fernandez started today with in the in the second leg. So why don't you run us through the, the second leg lineup and uh, your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I think uh, you know, like you said, it was a bit of a formality, but uh, I still think that you know United needed a, a professional performance, and you know, not not to sort of put Real Sociedad down. They weren't gonna sort of go out limp you know and uh i think in the end that's exactly what happened and i think united played professionally enough to get that nil nil but i think a um a stronger performance would have put us in much better position for the weekend but uh just to go over the game we had um uh most of our players uh swapped around uh we had um henderson in goal uh one bisaka played at right back with uh, Tellez at left back. We had the new pairing of Bailly and Lindelof in the middle. Uh, we had a Matic-Fred pivot with Greenwood, Bruno and James all in front of them um, and Martial up top. Uh, I think the plan was always to limit Bruno and I think he is our system essentially. So he needed to play in Ole's eyes. I would have preferred... Um, a setup where we didn't have to play Bruno and maybe started a uh, younger player in Diallo, who we just signed in January from Atlanta. Um, but, you know, Ole, Ole is the one in charge. He's at the wheel, so to speak. Um, he did make some halftime substitutions. Um, and this was after Sociedad was deflated, um, just purely because... They had a penalty off a nice bit of play down the right-hand side and um, Mikel Oyarzabal or something like that. I'm I'm not so sure on how to say his name. I'm impressed uh, with that Spanish accent. Oyarzabal. Anyway, um, he had a... uh, He's been very impressive in La Liga and he's uh, one of their most creative outputs. Um, He tried a... Bruno Jorginho penalty and uh, you know one of those hop hop skip jump style penalties and 
absolutely blazed it uh, past the uh, right-hand corner of Dean Henderson's goal. And I think that absolutely sort of deflated them. And that was in the 12th minute. So I think from there, it was just a first gear performance from United. And, uh, you know, we hit the crossbar as well, but uh, nothing much more to say about the game, really. Um, as I said, we made some changes at halftime. Uh, Axel Twanzebe came on for Fred. Uh, Brandon Williams came on for AWB, uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Uh, this was probably, and Marcus Rashford came on for Bruno. This was probably in anticipation for the game. Um, I think Ole sees Marcus and Bruno essential. So I think one of them needs to be on the field at all times, apparently. Uh, so that's why he came on. And then it was good to see in the 60th minute, we got uh, 30 minutes of Ahmad Diallo who played uh, out in the right wing, came on for James. And we had uh, another young gun who became uh, the youngest ever player for United in a Europe, uh, sorry, a, a European game, full stop, actually, not just the Europa League. Um, so he became the youngest at 17 years old and 23 days, I believe. Um, so, yeah, that was good that the kids got uh, a nice run out. Axel Twanzebe had a goal ruled out for uh, Victor Lindelof's Triple H-like challenge. Um, he, he actually got right up off the ground and uh, needs someone in the face. Not to say that it was consequential in the goal, but okay, I get that it's a foul, but maybe there should be some sort of continuation rule where there was no chance that uh, that was happening. But anyway, um, and yeah, nice to get the kids a run out. Another clean sheet for Dean Henderson, who's really chomping at the bit to get uh, David De Gea's number one spot. And uh, yeah, that, that that pretty much covers our pretty dry nil-nil draw this morning. Oh, you know, and there's nothing wrong night, with there's nothing wrong with get, not getting out of first gear as long as the performance is professional and Manchester United come away with the victory over two legs, which is great. Question I have for you, which you just touched on, is Dean Henderson. A lot of rumors saying that Borussia Dortmund are interested in picking him up. And he seems to be a good goalkeeper, seems to be somebody who's got a future above him. I'm wondering what you as a Manchester United fan think about potentially making him number one. And now I know you don't have the reins, always at the wheel, like you said, but thoughts on that one? I think Dean Henderson is probably England's number one next. Um, I would argue that let's take Sheffield United for an, uh, for an example. Um, he was there last year and they refused to leak goals. And I think that is not only a reflection on Chris Wilder's system, which I love, by the way, um, it's also a reflection on Dean Henderson's ability to organize. And I think that's something that De Gea has never sort of grasped completely. He's had good defenders in front of him, but he's never been that organizer. You know, if you look at his, if you look at De Gea's statistics in the EPL, he's actually below average for uh, stopping chances by claiming crosses. Uh, I saw this statistic the other day. And he is also below average in coming out to sweep. So when I said Mendy was a throwback, I think De Gea is a bit of a throwback as well. Yeah, he might be a bit better with the feet, uh, with the ball at his feet, but um, 
you know, I think Dean Henderson is really making a strong, strong case to become United's number one. But um, you can't, you can't fault Ole, I think, for keeping De Gea. Um, he's been such a loyal servant of the club. He's been our player of the club for, you know, I think it was four years running or six years running or something like that. He, you know, has gone through a little bit of a dip in form and some say that he's finding a little bit of it now, but uh, I think Dean Henderson really is pushing De Gea for his number one spot. And I think, you know, on, on showing, I, I, I don't see why not. Um, I can only say that uh, it'll be a tough choice for Ole. Love your analysis. It makes a lot of sense. And in this day and age, goalkeepers can play forever because they're not outfield players necessarily. But De Gea is approaching 30. Henderson is 23. And you're looking at potentially if you make him the number one, for example, you've got another goalkeeper for a solid decade or so. So that's definitely going to be interesting. Rahul, I've got some something I want to talk to you about, which is Nikesh mentioned Bruno is the plan, which means that he has to play every single game. And I have Bruno Fernandes in my fantasy Premier League. He scores or assists or something or the other. He pulls out a magical hat and continues to perform really, really well. Is he the plan or is the team now built around him, which is you know, a sign of a good team where you pick a star and you kind of build everybody to operate around his his talent, for lack of a better word. Hold on. I'm just still laughing on the Triple H comment from earlier. That that Lindelof tackle was horrible, man. That guy just got knocked out. Hey, it's not Lindelof's fault he <laughs> jumped five foot in the air. And the guy didn't even know it was coming, so he turns around and Lindelof's knee just in his face. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those Triple H flying knees. Yeah, man. Uh, but Jackie, going back to your original question, I think Bruno Fernandes is the guy at, at uh, Manchester United. I mean, I think they thought Pogba was going to be that player for a while, but Bruno's come in and we've quickly seen, and I think Nikesh will agree too, that he's become a leader, not only the, the on-field performer, but a, a leader on and off the field. And everything he says points towards the mentality of, I am here to win. And if you're not going to do that for me, then you know, I'm going to do it myself, but I am going to win with Manchester United. Spot on, really, on, honestly, spot on, because he does seem to carry Manchester United at times. Not not all the time, obviously. There are other players there that do step up, but he's really, really something excellent. Now, quick question for you guys. Any man of the match from this game? I know it was a nail-nail, but you guys watched the game? Uh, I think, for me, man of the match would probably have to be one of the defenders, actually. Uh, either Lindelof or Bailly. Um I think both of them had really strong outings. Um, and maybe let's, let's, go with, uh, let's go with Victor because uh, he had this one amazing tackle that stopped a certain goal. And um, yeah, I can't really say much else for the rest of the team. That was really uh, just, a, just an average meh performance. And don't miscount that Triple H tackle for sure. Absolutely. Exactly. Rahul? That's a that's a plus point too. <laughs> Rahul? I, I personally didn't watch the game. I was but Manchester United came in with four goals. I figured right. that game game was done. So I ended up watching the Leicester game, uh, which they got knocked out too. So 
but I got to go with Nikesh. I think if Lindelof stopped a, a goal-scoring opportunity and kept a clean sheet, then he's a good option. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Rahul, do you want to take us through the EPL preview next? Yes. So I'm excited for this, and and I that's mainly why we have Nikesh on, because both our teams face each other. And the last time we played each other was a bore nil-nil. Uh, but I'm hoping this time around we'll see some goals and a win for Chelsea. Uh, and let's get right into it. So six points separate the two teams, Manchester United in second. And Nikesh, we'll touch on, on the season so far and how you felt about it. But a little bit shocking that they sit in second. Chelsea in fifth. Uh, so kind of ex- where we expected we'd be at this point of the season in uh, we thought it'd be under Lampard, it's under Tuchel, but I think we've got a good case for top four, so hopefully we can close the gap this weekend. Uh, the last five games for Manchester United, a win against Newcastle, a draw against West Brom, which was a little surprising, a draw against Everton, which was right at the end, Everton got that goal. A 9-0 win against Southampton, which was just crazy. Uh, a nil-nil draw against Arsenal, which has kind of been Manchester United's MO in some of these uh, top six clashes, which they get nil-nil out of them and, and get the draw and move on. For Chelsea, on the other hand, a 1-1 draw against Southampton, a 2-0 win against Newcastle, a 2-0, 2-1 win against Sheffield United, a 1-0 against Spurs, and a 2-0 against Burnley. So uh, four straight wins and then a draw against uh, most recent against Southampton. So good form from both teams and should be an exciting game. What are your thoughts, Nikesh? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I would have I would have preferred some more momentum after um, having a, uh, you know, winless sort of two weeks with Everton and West Brom back to back. I think the Everton loss could have potentially hurt us, but I'm glad to see that we were able to bounce back after that with wins at Newcastle and four nil at Sociedad. Um, but again, I think you, you, you're completely right in saying that our MO this season has been, let's, let's not drop points against the supposed, you know, big six, uh, as, as, as most people like to call them. And, um, you know, that's been sort of our, our way forward. And, you know, we've been solid at the back with, minimal chances up front but sort of more of the tactics i guess pass the ball to bruno and you know hope for the best yeah that that's right but you think that came out you know that first game you played against spurs now i know there was a red card and and that kind of took from the result but that really turned into a nasty result for you guys and i wonder if ole and the squad said let's keep it tight in some of these big games and then if we nick a goal, we nick a goal. If not, we don't drop three points completely. Yeah, I think part of it is that 6-1 drubbing and, you know, it brings back uh, very, very painful memories um, of, you know, back in Sir Alex Ferguson days when Man City came uh, and, and, and beat a 6-1 as well. But, uh, you know, I think people have to remember that we did come out very attacking that game. Uh, we did actually nick the first goal within, I think, the first 10 minutes or something like that. And, you know, I think that from there, things went downhill and everything that went wrong 
that everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong in that game, you know, and we ended up on the wrong side of a scoreline that, uh, you know, you don't often see with uh, two big top teams, but, uh, you know, going into the games being solid at nil-nil isn't so much a bad idea, in my opinion. It does lead to boring games and, you know, you excite, you expect these big clashes to have exciting games. And uh, yeah, this season with United, it just hasn't happened. But I do also feel that we've sort of been a little bit unlucky, I guess, uh, you know, with uh, these sort of big chances in the games. Um, I think, you know, just thinking back to the Arsenal nil-nil game, I think Fred had a go- had a shot that was essentially going in the bottom corner looping in and Bernd Leno comes and makes this astounding save that I, I don't think gets talked about enough. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think many other goalkeepers make that save. And I think that's happened a few times for United. But again, I think we do set out to be defensively resolute and, uh, you know, hope for the best going forward. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, actually, because when you're playing the top six, you want to get a result of some sort. Now, in Manchester United, Manchester United's defense, and I never thought I'd be saying this, I don't think they set up to be defensive for the nail-nail, but I think they set up defensive to not concede and try to score a goal. Now, it doesn't always happen necessarily, but again, I don't think it's a bad strategy to come out with a draw and then try to pinch the win where there are possibilities. Now, is that going to be the case against Chelsea or do you think Manchester United are going to come out guns blazing? With Chelsea, it's always an interesting fight because I think United and Chelsea have a very sort of interesting history and uh, not just Chelsea and United. I think the more interesting thing will be uh, Ole versus Tuchel. Uh, I think we've we've seen them actually battle quite a few times considering Ole has only been at the wheel for, uh, you know, two and a, two and a bit years. But uh, I think uh, we've played PSG multiple occasions and uh, we've sort of managed to come out on top. And I, and I, you know, have to praise Ole for his sort of pragmatism and his sort of structure when we do play teams like Paris Saint-Germain. Um when Tuchel was in charge and he did employ this, uh, a similar sort of tactic with uh, Mbappe and Neymar just behind the striker, probably more of a 3-4-3 rather than a 3-4-2-1 like he's playing now. But, um, you know, it's been lucrative for us to sort of match the system. And I think you're seeing that in people who are starting to play Tuchel start to match his system and start to see sort of flaws in his system in that sense. Um because obviously he just doesn't have the players of the same quality that he did at PSG. So there are sort of fallibilities, you know, Alonso being one of them, not to name names, but um, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see if Ole decides to match the system and go with uh, wing backs with uh, maybe Luke Shaw coming in at center back, or if he sticks to his guns and goes with the four, um, on recent memory, I think he will stick with the four. And uh, I think Marcus Rashford should be licking his lips and Tuchel will be uh, planning on stopping Marcus Rashford as much as he can. 
subtle, not so subtle jabs there at Alonzo and no, uh, Tuchel's lineup here. But no, all valid arguments and good points. Rahul, do you have a predicted 11 for the Premier Charles? I do. And uh, I, <laughs> I I did hear those subtle jabs too. And I, I was cautiously going to bring them up on our side because oddly enough, Tuchel's beaten United at Old Trafford more than at home. So I don't know what that says for us coming into this game since we're at the bridge. Uh, but Marcus Rashford does love scoring against us. Throw back to that crazy free kick in that Carabao Cup game scored in the first game Lampard was in uh, as manager. So Rashford and George, not just Tuchel, but playing against Chelsea too. So I hope we can keep him quiet. But from our side, I think we keep our formation. And so Mendy in goal, Espelicueta, I think Thiago Silva should be back. So if he is, then he, he takes a spot in the middle of that three and Rudiger on the left. Uh, Reese James, I think, comes in because we do need a little bit more cover, especially if Rashford's playing down that side or uh, whoever... Manchester United decide to play because they have some pace in their in their ranks. Kovacic, I think, needs to play. He's been our best midfielder in terms of sitting in that pivot, whoever, whether it's Jorginho or Conte. I think Conte plays as well. We need a little bit more uh, physicality and ability to stop Bruno Fernandes, to be honest. Uh, Alonso plays, and I think Mount Werner and Giroud up top. You think Giroud is going to get two games back-to-back? He deserves it. I mean, he came off the bench against Newcastle, scored, played in this Atletico Madrid game, scored. Um, and he would be a good option to occupy Harry Maguire and Triple H, a.k.a. Mr. Lindelof. Yeah, strong, strong start up there. Nikesh, what do you think Ole at the wheel is going to line up with? Well, I have two lineups in my head. Um I think one is, you know, where my heart wants the lineup to be. And the other is probably where, where Ole is likely to land. Um, where Ole is likely to land, I think David comes back in goal. Um, he's, you know, pretty much our confirmed Premier League goalkeeper for this season. Um, I don't think anything's changed in that regard. And I think he comes back into play, uh, Aaron Juan Bissaka came off at halftime, uh, most likely to be saved for this game. He'll come in at right back. Luke Shaw will probably make an appearance at left back. Um, Maguire obviously comes back in after a much needed rest. My heart here wants to say Bay because uh, he does add that extra pace and he complements Maguire a lot better than Lindelof does. I feel Lindelof and Maguire are the same sort of type of defender or the same person almost, except that Lindelof doesn't challenge as well in the air. Um, so I would like to say Bailly, but I think Lindelof does come in. Uh, Scott McTominay is touch and go at the minute, according to Ole, but I think he is hopeful that he makes it back. So we'll have our McFred um, pivot. Um which is Scott McTominay and Fred, uh, colloquially known as uh, McFred for all those non-United fans. And for the TPC, um, McTominay is known as the Manchester Zidane, just so you know. Uh, he's he's just known as the Zidane Zidane in the Manchester <laughs> circle. So. Um, yeah, and then uh, up top, we have uh, likely Mason 
is what I would think happens. But again, I think uh, Daniel James, if he wasn't injured today, could potentially make a start just to add some sort of defensive, uh, you know, presence and, and, and sort of work rate on the right-hand side. You got, you know, the one and only MBE Marcus Rashford on the left-hand side. Uh, you got big Bruno, inevitable Bruno right in the middle. And you got uh, hopefully Cavani back in, back in the lineup. Uh, he's been out a couple of weeks with an injury. So uh, I think Ole was hopeful on him as well. So that should be the lineup. Um, unless Ole wants to switch it up and go to a three at the back. That's a solid lineup. And uh, some of the the better players come back and as, as expected, they should uh, you know, make that that starting eleven and should be a good game and one that you know we'll both be, well, all three of us will be watching and um, I'll be interacting with both of you uh, on on the side and it'll be fun. So um, we're going, we're saying it's going to be fun. We're saying it should be exciting, hopefully. Uh, so Jackie, what is your score prediction for this game? Yeah, we've done a lot of good analysis here again. Ole will go, is going to line up to be tight. Tuchel has been very defensively solid, but not necessarily producing so much in, in the front end. I think it's going to be one nail to Chelsea. We can keep Rashford and Bruno Fernandes and Cavani quiet. I'll be, I'll be happy even if it's not one nil. Yeah. It's um, going to be an uphill battle, but it's, it's my hope and it's my dream. Yeah. Well, well it's, it's a good shot. Nikesh. Uh, I think. It's weird to say now, but I think Pogba is going to be a big miss for us. Uh, I think he provides that extra sort of creativity that um, we sometimes lack when, when you know, Rashi's having a bad day or Bruno's being marked out of the game. Uh, but I think it's going to be probably a nil-nil again. Uh, I don't think Tuchel has a very sort of potent front line, but his defense is very organized. And uh, I think that'll sort of negate everything that happens. It'll be nil-nil unless, you know, Marcus Rashford pulls out a worldly or Bruno pulls out a worldly and um, we nick it 1-0. Or Giroud pulls out a worldly. Uh, for me, I think it'll be 2-1. And that's only because I don't see how we keep Bruno Fernandes from scoring a penalty. Uh, and on the other side, I don't see how we don't get one because we've been getting a lot too. So I, I got to raise my hand there and say we've we've gotten a few penalties. So a penalty. Here each. we go. Here we go <laughs> with the Bruno Fernandez. All right. All I, right. I didn't say it. I just said he scores a penalty. I didn't say anything else. Uh, but two one, and I think we can we can win it, and we should win it if we have ambitions to make this top four and close the gap. Uh, so we'll see what happens and. Uh, hopefully it's a, an enjoyable game and a win for either side um, in terms of Nikesh if he gets it then we'll not hear the end of it and same for you Nikesh if it comes from us then you'll be getting some some fun messages from one of us um, I think we've both been uh, very respectful for one of our you know for for our respective teams but uh, we'll we'll definitely see what comes of it on Monday for me yeah, so what time is that game on for you? Uh, I think it's an early game. I think it might be the 3.30 game on the Monday. Monday morning. 3.30 a.m., yes. Oh, wow. Jackie and I complain when we have to wake up at 7 a.m. here. 
Yeah, it's always it's always the battle, you know, when you wake up at three thirty and then you think uh, I have work in three hours. So uh, that's the dedication of an Australian EPL Man United fan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so before we get into our little FPL discussion, since we all play, um, I just want to do a quick prediction from you, Nikesh, on the top four and the relegation teams. Jackie and I have done ours a few times already. Uh, so just a quick um, top four and, and relegation from you. Uh, look, I think uh, it's, it's City's title to lose. Um, if they do lose it, it'll be sort of the biggest bottle job uh, since Tottenham didn't win the league in the year that Leicester won it. Um, I think United probably have enough to stay in the top four. Um, I'm optimistic about it just because we are sort of uh, six points clear of fourth or, or you know something like that. Um, I think Leicester... I, I I I don't know with Leicester, but I think I want I want to say that Brendan Rodgers pulls his team together and keeps them in the top four this time. Uh, they just missed out last year, um, and I think I think Liverpool are just too good to ignore, um, and I think they sneak into the top four uh, right at the end. As for it's... yeah, sorry. No, I was I was just gonna say so. You come on the Premier Chels podcast and don't pick Chelsea to make top four. I'm going to have to re- <laughs> rethink calling you back. <laughs> hey, I speak the truth. I speak what people outside of Chelsea want to speak. We don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but those are good shouts. And I think City definitely, I mean, at this point, if they don't win that title, it's going to be bizarre and, and a crazy uh, unwinding of their of their season. It's going to be interesting if United don't get a win in this game against us, that gap shortens. And it's going to be interesting to see if they start focusing on the Europa League or, or you know, trying to win a, a trophy and make it into the Champions League and that affects their form. But you're right. I think with Leicester, they're out of their Europa League spot. And after their experience from last year, I think they stay focused and have enough to get into that top four and then Hopefully Liverpool don't and Chelsea can. Yeah, I think uh, for United, it's going to be a big couple of weeks. We uh, start with Chelsea. We go to City after uh, a break from Palace. Uh, Then we go to West Ham. And then we go to Leicester and then have a little break and then go to Tottenham. So this is a a make or break sort of six games for United um, to sort of test our credentials for where we want to be next year. Absolutely. So how about the relegation just quickly? As for the relegation, it's a lot tighter down there. Um, for me, I, you know, Sheffield and West Brom are sort of confirmed to me as being at the bottom. I think if big samples off West Brom again, it'll be crazy scenes. And he should be hailed as the next coming of Sir Alex Ferguson. But um, if if they don't and they make it confirmed that they're down there, I think I think without Callum Wilson, Newcastle have a real shot of going down. And I think uh, Fulham just have enough about them uh, with some new additions 
to possibly just about make it out. It might come down, come right down to the wire. Newcastle have a bad run in, in terms of games towards the end. And uh, I think if I'm not mistaken um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think Newcastle and Fulham actually play just before the last day or the last day of um, the season. So that should be a very, very, very interesting battle. I agree. And, uh, whoever comes out on top will 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 be safe. No, I think you're spot on. I think Jackie and I have said the same thing about that the relegation spots. It's uh, Sheffield, West Brom, and then it's going to be one of Fulham and, and Newcastle, who actually, like you're right, Nikesh, play on the last day of the season. So it's definitely going to come down to that. But moving on from that big clash between Chelsea and Manchester United, there is another big clash in our fantasy premier league this weekend and that is jackie facing myself so jackie your your thoughts on this clash yeah the premier charles boys going up against each other exciting always love playing the premier uh, fantasy premier league with you it's always exciting i was a little bit disappointed that manchester united and chelsea are playing each other this week i do have two chelsea defenders in there and i love for them to keep clean sheets but i also have the Bruno Fernandez in my squad. So maybe the 2-1 works out nicely. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe one of the two goals scored by Chelsea that you predicted, Rahul, will be from a defender. And then I'm okay with it. But I'm up for this challenge. It's going to be fiery, my friend. I know there's been some shady deals going on in the Fantasy Premier League, but I will accept them for now. I don't know what you're talking about. I think Nikesh did make some shady trades this weekend, this week, so... We, maybe that's what you're referring to. But either way, this it should be a fun uh, round of fixtures. And the winner or loser of this, um, there's only one winner, actually, is going to be Nikesh because he's chasing down top spot um, and trying to open up a gap between myself and him. So, Nikesh, your thoughts on this clash and FPL so far? Look, it's, uh, it's, it's one that I'll be watching um, intently. I have, uh, for the listeners out there, I have brought in the one, the only MBE, Marcus Rashford. Uh, I just want to say that Marcus, what Marcus Rashford has been doing outside of the sport as well as in the sport has just been absolutely ridiculous. And that, that boy is just, he's been raised right. And, you know, I'm very, very proud to, you know, associate him to my club and, 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 and you know, be able to watch him week in, week out. But back to the FPL, obviously. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a big battle, and I think uh, I'm 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 rooting for either a draw or a Rahul win. FPL aside, really appreciate having people like you bring their perspective onto the podcast about Marcus Rashford. It's something that Rahul and I are aware about, but we don't necessarily speak about it enough. So, very grateful that you bring it up. He's doing some great things for underprivileged children you know, people of color, things like that. And it's always exciting to hear what a good footballer can do with their power, not necessarily just money, but their status in, in the world. And love that you brought that up. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, th- thank you very much on that, Nikesh. And um, just for that, we'll give Rashford a goal this weekend, but we'll take the win. Um, Jackie, he did say he, he wants you to lose this weekend, though. Yeah, we'll manage that. That's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it's been fun, and uh, the next few weeks in the FPL should be should be fun as well. Then whoever wins it will deserve it. 
so let's move on, guys. And um, I know there's an England topic that Nikesh wants to discuss real quick, but let's just wrap up the Chelsea United section. So we all have some blast from the past players, and then Jackie has a little trivia game for us. So, uh, Nikesh, why don't you start us off with your blast from the past? And for our listeners out there, you were already aware of uh, what this section is. And so this this week, we're dedicating it through players that have played for both Chelsea and Manchester United. So, Nikesh, why don't you start us off? Thanks, guys. Um... I'm starting off with uh, the one, the only big Romelu Lukaku. Uh, he's a pretty famous um, modern player, actually. So not so much a blast from the past, but he did used to play for Chelsea a while ago. And um, obviously most recently played for United before joining Inter. So Rom, big Rom, however you want to call him, uh, was born in Antwerp in Belgium. Um, and he's currently one of the... I would say world's best strikers. You know, he's up there in the top three, I would say, in the discussion. Um, he was uh, gifted with a large frame and a very, very natural physique um, from a young age, mind you. Um, a fun fact here was that he was so big for his age that his mother actually needed to carry his birth certificate to every match he played in the juniors just because most teams didn't believe that he was actually of that age group. Um, in saying that, he uh, started playing men's regular first-team football at the tender age of 16 for Anderlecht in Belgium. Um, and he was actually a regular in Anderlecht before he made the £10 million switch to Chelsea. Um, then uh, an unproven talent, but a talent nonetheless, um, at 18 years old. And uh, Chelsea did what Chelsea loved to do and uh, loaned him out. Um, uh, loaned him out to fellow EPL team, actually, uh, West Brom. Um, and that is where Romelu started to sort of make a name for himself. Um, and at West Brom, he was actually involved in um, United's or... Sir Alex's last game. Uh, it was his 1,500th game, I believe. And uh, what a way to end it with a 5-5 draw. Um, Lukaku was actually a second-half substitute. And he came on to score a perfect hat-trick against Sir Alex Ferguson's Man United. Um, and that was, a, that was a ridiculous game to, to, to watch and to, to see live, you know. I would have liked Sir Alex to go out on a on a big win, but uh, five, five is equally as impressive to be honest. Um, Chelsea then was still not ready to give him a chance. They, he only ever made 10 appearances uh, for Chelsea and uh, they loaned him out once again to Everton uh, where he would go on to sign permanently for them in a deal worth just 28 million pounds. And when you consider that bit of business for, for Chelsea, I think that was all right considering they made an 18 million dollar profit but uh we all know the news where they wanted to sign him back a couple of years later for i think a 50 million dollar loss so i think they made a bit of a mistake but uh you know we we, we move he made 141 appearances with 68 goals for everton and after that united splashed the cash and signed romelu lukaku for 75 million pounds 
Uh, one of my best memories of him was uh, how everyone mocked him for not being uh, or not showing up against the big six. Um, and evidently enough, he showed up against Chelsea in a comeback 2-1 win um, at Old Trafford against his former employers where he scored the first goal past Thibaut Courtois and then assisted Jesse Lingard in the 80th minute with a beautiful little chip cross that uh, Jesse Lingard headed in. After that, he expressed his desire to be with um, Conte, the former Chelsea manager, actually, another link, um, who was at Inter. And uh, apparently he'd always wanted to work under Conte and uh, he's now absolutely enjoying himself and you know, he's cemented his place as a world-class number nine. And that's big Romelu Lukaku. That's, that's an awesome blast from the past, even though he's still current in playing, but uh, a guy that did very well in the Premier League. And I think Jackie and I both wish that he was at Chelsea uh, doing what he's doing now at Inter. Uh, but most recently, I think he did a Q&A on Twitter and said uh, some very kind words about Chelsea and uh, accepting that it just didn't work out, but that's football and that's life. And um, maybe leaving the door open for a return at some point. So we'll see what happens in the summer. But Nikesh, that's a great blast from the past. Um, and Jackie, I will pass the mic on to you now. Yeah, great blast from the past again. If Chelsea have made some mistakes in the transfer market, he has to be up there in Romelu Lukaku. But I've gone a little bit further in history, dug deep into the archives to find Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes was a Welsh legend, but also a Manchester United and Chelsea boy. Mark Hughes' journey started with Manchester United after one of the Man United Welsh scouts spotted him. He was signed to the youth system and eventually made his first team debut in the 1983-1984 season. He played along another blast from the past name here and another Chelsea link in Ray Wilkins. So some big names dropping out today. He went on to make 121 appearances, scoring 47 goals. That definitely caught the eye of another big European club in Barcelona who paid a whooping two million pounds, which obviously back in the day was a lot of money. He was actually recruited by Terry Venables, an English manager who was leading Barcelona at the time and wanted to pair him alongside, here we go, another drop, Gary Lineker. Now, unfortunately for him, it did not work out. I mean, plain simple, he did not perform very well in Barcelona and he was loaned out to Bayern Munich after one season. But it's got to tell you a little bit about the caliber of Mark Hughes that Manchester United, Barcelona, and then Bayern Munich were coming for him. He obviously regained some of his form there and performed really, really well. So much so that a certain Sir Alex Ferguson pushed out 1.8 million. That's right, 1.8 million pounds to bring him back to Manchester United. And at that time, it was a club record fee. In his second stint, he made a total of 352 appearances, scoring 116 times. He joined Chelsea in the summer of 1995. We're bringing the link back to Chelsea here for $1 million. So he still held a considerable value as he was being transferred around these clubs. He continued his career with other Premier League clubs, moving on to Southampton, Everton, Blackburn Rovers, before finally calling it quits on his playing career. Now, I guess it's easy for me to call it, you know, 
that's the end of his career. But I do need to talk about some of the trophies and titles he won. With Manchester United, he won two Premier Leagues, three FA Cups, one League Cup, three Charity Shields, one European Cup Winners' Cup, and a European Super Cup. So trophies galore. When he joined Chelsea, one FA Cup, one Football League Cup, and one UEFA Cup Winners' Cup. So, you know, he's got a huge resume of wins under his belt. He then transitioned into management after retiring, and he went through a whole host of Premier League clubs, including Blackburn, Manchester City, Fulham, Queen Park Rangers, Stoke City, and Southampton. So now he's looking for a current club, but absolutely, absolutely a wonderful career, and that is Mark Hughes. Wow, what what a career, and unfortunately, I didn't get to watch him, uh, but I did get to see him manage, and that Blackburn Rowers team he built was hard. I mean, you go play them, and you'd, you'd come out thinking, you know, you'd been in a battle, so... A great player and, and a, a very good manager, especially in early on in his career. Um, so that, that was a good one too, Jackie. I've gone for one that did not particularly play for Manchester United, but there was a huge controversy uh, link, linking him to Manchester United and Chelsea, and that is John Obi Mikkel, a Nigerian international who made his name at the 2003 under-17 FIFA World Cup. Two years later, in 2005, he played at the FIFA World Youth Championship and won the second best player award, finishing behind to a certain Lionel Messi. So he was an up-and-coming superstar out of Africa who had uh, made a name for himself at some of these youth tournaments. And from that point on, he was scouted in involved in one of the most bizarre transfers between Manchester United and Chelsea. He was playing for Lynn in Norway, uh, but constantly in contact with Sir Alex Ferguson, who wanted to bring him over, and Roman Abramovich, who had joined Chelsea and had seen him play and wanted him at the club. So both clubs wanted to bring him. Sir Alex even got him to sign a contract in April 2005, and he was all set to join them, uh, you know, looking forward to moving to Manchester and his dad, who was actually a Manchester United fan was fully behind this move. Um, You know, everything was going to go ahead. And then suddenly a rushed press conference was done to announce this deal. Chelsea said, hold on a minute. He's supposed to be our player. We've signed a contract with him, which was denied by Lynn and Manchester United. A few days later in May, he's sitting at a cup final game for Lynn. Uh, he didn't play. He was in the stand. And then suddenly an agent shows up, pulls him out of the stadium, and then Mikel goes missing. Lynn, director of football, says Mikel has been kidnapped. The news makes it to Manchester. Sir Alex Ferguson is fuming. He's thinking about going out to... Norway to see what's going on. A few days later, reports come out that Mikhail's been in London with this agent uh, in hiding. Roman Abramovich has given him an apartment. Uh, This is the the craziest story, guys. And so he's in London living with three other Nigerian players. Um, He's meeting Jose Mourinho and Roman Abramovich is sending him decoy cars to throw the media off. 
Um, and then finally, he goes, Mikel goes on Sky Sports and says that he had been pressured to sign for Manchester United. His agent wasn't around. He didn't know he was signing a deal with Manchester United and actually wants to play for Chelsea. So in response to these events, and I have to catch my breath because there's just so much craziness going on here, United make an official complaint to FIFA about this. And now they want Chelsea banned, not only for making the Mikel signing, but making signings for the next couple of seasons. FIFA steps in, they do some uh, investigation. They dismiss these claims and say there was nothing wrong done. Chelsea step in and say, all right, Manchester United, Lynn, let's just settle this. They agree to pay Lynn 4 million pounds, 12 million to Manchester United, in total 16 million pounds more than they wanted to if they had just done the deal right out the gate. And finally, in the summer of 2016, Mikel moves to Chelsea. Uh, Mourinho then converts him from an attacking midfielder to a defensive midfielder. And an underrated player for Chelsea, I have to be honest, but he always gave it his all. Um, and in the team where there was Lampard, Balak, Makaleli, Essien, he always featured under every manager and he won everything that there was to be won and moved to China, came back to England and currently plays for Stoke City. So that is John Obi Mikel. Hold on, I thought we started a sports and a Premier League podcast here. This was extremely dramatic. It was almost like a telenovela that we're listening to over here. I, I swear that was a true crime document. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, when I did my research, I mean, we, I think we all knew about this saga and what had happened, but the details that I found, unbelievable. Really is. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember all of this sort of panning out, and you know, I I, I heard about it in um, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's uh, autobiography as well, and he writes about it a little bit. And it's just, it's just the most ridiculous state of affairs that have ever happened from from a transfer. And I think uh, there were a lot of lot of moving pieces, and I think John Obi Mikel might have been might have been a bit tempted by um by your russian oligarch he it worked out for us i'm i'm, I'm pleased he played for us so uh, a good blast on the past section and some recent players in lukaku some older in in mark Hughes, and uh some that still play at stoke city in, in ob mikhail so thanks nikesh and jackie for uh bringing those players to light and uh, Jackie, I think you now have a small game for us to play. Yeah, I've put together some questions, a little Q&A on uh, some fun trivia about Manchester United and Chelsea. I try to keep it fair, so I want to make sure that all our listeners know that Rahul has not been pre-fed these questions. He does not know the answers. Nikesh does not know the questions or answers, so it's just a fun one, and it is for bragging rights. So as a guest, Nikesh, I'd like you to start first. It's somebody about having a red card in one of our games. So here we go. In March 2011, Chelsea recovered from a goal down to win 2-1. But who was sent off for Manchester United? Your choices are A, Nemanja Vidic, B, Chris Smalling, C, Patrice Evra, or D, John O'Shea? 
2011. What were my options again? A, Nemanja Vidic, B, Chris Smalling, C, Patrice Evra, and D, John O'Shea. Well, I don't think uh, Patrice Evra ever got into trouble against Chelsea. <sighs> Could be John O'Shea, but I think I think I'm just going to play the statistics here, and I have to go Nemanja Vidic. That is absolutely correct, my friend. So yes. good, good choice right there. <laughs> good job. Rahul, I try to keep it fair, like I said, so I'm going to flip this on you. In September 2007, United won 2-0 at Old Trafford. But which Chelsea player was sent off after just 32 minutes? So similar question here. Your choices are A, Michael Essien, B, Claude Makalele, C, Tal Benhaim, or D, your blast from the past, John Obi Mikel. I'm lost for words because I don't remember this game. <laughs> you went very, very silent, my friend. <laughs> uh, so when was this? September 2007. Yeah, September 2007. And Manchester United won 2-0. You know what? I think this was right after Mourinho maybe had been fired. Maybe I'm wrong. No, he was 2000. He was let go in November of like 08. No, you're 07. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was right after Avram Grant had taken charge. Um, so it was with Essien. Your choices are Michael yeah. Essien, Claude Makalele, Tal Benahim, or John Obi Mikel. Do you know what? I'm going to go with um, John Obi Mikel. Simply because I picked it for my blast from the past. <laughs> You're good. You've got a good guess there, and you are correct as well. So we are tied 1-1. All right, moving on to the next question. This is a good one for you, Nikesh. In the 2006 World Cup, six weeks before, Chelsea and Manchester United played each other. Whose challenge caused Wayne Rooney to break his metatarsal bone in his right foot? Your choices are... A, John Terry, B, Ricardo Cavallo, C, Paulo Ferreira, or D, Ashley Cole? I love when it goes silence on this podcast. You know, the guys are thinking too yeah. hard. And hard. <laughs> 2006 World Cup. So six weeks before, it was probably one of the final yeah. games towards the season. It was. I think it was actually the game where we won the title. Yep. If that helps you, Nikesh. <laughs> Uh, what were the options again? It was pretty much the standard back four of John Terry, Ricardo Cavallo, Paulo Ferreira, and Ashley Cole. Uh, I, I, I want to say, I want to say Paulo Ferreira, but I'm not a hundred percent here. Uh, should I play the statistics again, or should I just go with the gut? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Paulo Ferreira. That is correct. Paulo Ferrer did yeah. break Wayne Rooney's metatarsal, unfortunately for him. But yeah. good answer. Never there. the same after that. Never, Never the same. same. Yep. All right, Rahul. So again, a similar question. In the 2008 Champions League final, who did Didier Drogba slap to get sent off? Your, ans your, your answers are A, 
Rio Ferdinand, B, Nemanja Vidic, C, Wayne Rooney, or D, Mike Phelan? Mike Phelan? <laughs> <laughs> I would have paid to watch him do that to him. Um, I think it was Vidic, but I'm unsure because I think Ferdinand, it was one of the central defenders. Uh, I think it was Vidic. That is correct. You guys are on a roll here. All right. So we're tied two for two, and it's the third and final question. I hope we don't have to go to tiebreaker, but here we go. This one is an easy one for Nikesh, unfortunately, because of your blast from the past, Rahul. But what was the name of the other club caught in the John Obi Mikel love triangle with Manchester United and Chelsea? A, Penny Oslo, B, Bev Oslo, C, Kite Oslo, or D, Lynn Oslo? Uh, this is a tough one. Uh, I'll take the assist on this one. <laughs> yeah, look, look, uh, I think uh, good assist. Thanks, Rahul. Uh, it was indeed Lynn. Wonderful. Here we go. 3-2. Rahul, last question to you, sir. After Manchester United were outbid for the Aryan Robin by Chelsea, what did PSV chairman Harry Van Raj say? Their £7 million would have got them. So I'm going to repeat it again because I'm, I'm bad with names. After the after Manchester United were outbid for Aaron Robin by Chelsea, what did PSV chairman Harry Van Raj say? Their seven million bid would have got them. Your options are A, Robin's little toe, B, a drawing done by Robin's uh, sorry, a drawing done by Robin's son at school, C, a shirt with Robin's autograph, or D, Quinton Fortune. I didn't even know Manchester United wanted to sign Robin. (laughs) He was a hot commodity back then. Well, I doubt he had a son at that young age. I like process of elimination. I like it. Yeah, so I'm going to take that one out. Quentin Fortune. Wasn't he already there? I'm not allowed to give hints, my friend. I'm asking Nikesh. I need this assist. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with the toe. That was a good guess. It actually was my guess, but the correct answer was a shirt with Rob N's autograph. Oh, wow. So the game end, ends 3-2. was a wonderful game. I did have a tiebreaker, and I'm going to ask it to Nikesh anyway because I kind of spun it up to be Australian a little bit. So this is a fun one, and it's just an additional bonus point for you, Nikesh. We have had an, a huge host of Australian players make you know, their debuts and play wonderful years for massive, massive Premier League clubs. Which Australian player played for both Manchester United and Chelsea. And your options are A, Mark Bosnich, B, Mark Viduka, C, Mark Schwarzer, or D, Mark Bresciano. Yeah, no, that's that's an easy one for us Australians here. <laughs> um, Mark Bosnich played one. for both, uh, both United and Chelsea and... I don't think he was a very good player, in my opinion. <laughs> Wonderful. You've got 4 2, Rahul, and he's put you to bet on this one. <laughs> I gave him one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then it's 3 2 anyway. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, good job, guys. The trivia ended, and Nikesh has the bragging rights. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun, Jackie. Yeah, it was a good quiz, Jackie. Cheers. Yeah. Um, so 
that that wraps up our Chelsea United preview. Um, some good blasts from the past. Some good, you know, trivia questions from the past. Uh, there was one thing Nikesh wanted to discuss real quick. Uh, I know we're a little bit over time here, but uh, coming up in the summer are the Euros. And initially, they were supposed to be all over Europe, but I think the news coming out is that it's going to be only in England, which is good. Uh, so, Nikesh, you wanted to see who makes the starting 11? Yeah, I actually had this discussion with a couple of friends recently, and uh, it actually brought up some, some really interesting questions because some would say this is probably in England's next golden generation, one would argue. Uh, you know, you have people like Foden, Saka, Greenwood, you know, you have all these young, hungry players coming up and, and you know, they're performing in the EPL. So it's just an interesting sort of question to pose. Who, Who's the first lineup? Who is your first 11 for the Euros? And, you know, obviously things change and tactics fit certain teams versus others you know so there are different games and different needs but your strongest 11 go that's a tough one man i mean there's so many good players like you mentioned and you didn't even mention some of our chelsea boys who are in the running to make it to this tournament uh so i mean i'm looking at some of the players here and i think uh Nick Pope's got to be first choice. He's played a lot of games and he's performed very well for England. I know the other two options in Pickford and Henderson are, are good options, but Pickford for me has been okay all season. So I, I don't think he should be first or second choice. Henderson, even though he hasn't played much, should be at second choice for me. So Nick Pope would be uh, my goalie. I would go with... Again, it's tough to not pick my Chelsea boys, but I think Trent gets the nod at right back. Uh, Stones, based on what he's done this season, and Maguire in center back. Uh, Luke Shaw over Chilwell, but that's a tough one too. If Chilwell's not playing enough, you know, I don't think he gets gets the time. I'm going to go with the 4-3-3. and so Rice in that defensive kind of position, I think Henderson is going to play next to him. Uh, Mount at the third central midfielder. On their left, I am going to go with Grealish, up top Kane, and Sterling. But now I know I've left out a lot of good players. So that's just my my starting eleven. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a strong starting 11, but, uh, you know, you're missing players such as Sancho, Rashford, Foden, who's been performing well, Madison as well. It's just, it's a, it's a you know, very, very sort of hard team to fill. And I think, uh, you know, some, some sort of balance needs to be struck. And I think... You know, you playing the sort of, I guess, two DMs, so to speak, um, helps that balance, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it was tough. There's just too many good players. Like you said, golden generation, second coming of this golden generation. And the good thing is there's a lot of options. 
Uh, and if they stay fit, then it's a good headache for Southgate in versus not having the right players. Uh, but Jackie, what do you think? Honestly, I think the back four picks itself, Rahul. I can't argue too much with that. Nick Pope, for me, I think Dean Henderson has a good shout, but he doesn't play enough, which is the biggest problem. And I think that's where he needs to figure that out with Manchester United. Back four has to be Trent Alexander-Arnold, but Aaron Wan-Bissaka has a good shout as well. I think Reese James is very, very good. I don't think he's necessarily going to make that starting lineup his, just based on him being in and out of the squad. Uh, Center-back pairing of Stones and Harry Maguire, it's easy enough over there. Luke Shaw has been brilliant, honestly, as a left-back. I think Ben Chilwell had a good opportunity early on in the season, but with Tuchel coming in, it's really moved on to Alonso being a left-back, so Ben Chilwell has fallen maybe to second choice. I would play a 4-2-3-1, in my opinion. I think it suits England. The two defensive midfielders would be Declan Rice and Jordan Henderson. Of course, Jordan Henderson just got injured, could be out for a little bit, so that remains to be seen. It gets very difficult with the final four up top because England have a lot of talent going into the final third of the pitch. But for me, I've gone with Sancho and Sterling hugging the wings in that three behind the striker. I don't see, and this is just being me as a Chelsea fan, but also taking a step back, how Mount doesn't fit into this team just because of his energy and work rate that I don't see any of the other more creative guys bring, which is your Foden's, your Jack Grealish's, your Madison. I think they're all brilliant. I think they also can play and interswap with Sancho and Sterling, but Mount is so different. He can slot into a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 and it works out nicely. Now, up top where it gets interesting is by default, Harry Kane should be the number nine leading the line, but Harry Kane has a lot of injury issues. I would love for him to be the starting lineup, but I'll give a big, big shout to Dominic Calvin Lewin, who has been brilliant this season. So again, like you guys said, just going to echo it. England have their pick of talent. There's so many players I haven't talked about. The young man, Jude Bellingham from Borussia Dortmund. I mean, the, the list goes on and on, guys. So it's going to be an exciting Euros for England. Bring it home, guys. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 all really good points that you brought up. Um, I think up top, Kane is the captain, so you do see him starting. But, uh, yeah, it's really interesting decisions for Southgate. Absolutely. Nikesh, do you want to give us your... Yeah, so for me, I think... And look... I'm not even going to lie about it. There are some United biases. There are. They just are. We have a good, you know, core of young English players, and I think uh, they're really making a case for it. Now, I've picked Henderson to go and goal, and again, I said United bias, but here's my reasoning for him. Uh, Henderson is probably a bit better than Pope is with the ball at his feet, and I think Southgate does pick Pickford purely on how good he is with the ball at his feet and his distribution. So I think a blend of Nick Pope and Jordan Pickford is maybe necessary. And that's where Henderson comes in, but I can definitely see your arguments for Nick Pope. Like it's, it's a hard choice for me. Um, at right back, I've got Trent um, again, Maguire stones and Shaw. as we said, you know, we've got, Lots of defenders coming up, and I think Aaron Wan-Bissaka is actually making a sort of push for an England role. And I think if you see the rest of my team, you can see why I've sort of 
maybe shoehorned him in at right back as well. Um, so I've got one sitter in Declan Rice. I don't think England particularly need two sitting midfielders. I think often it has been the case where they have had two sitting midfielders and have been very passive moving forward. And they're just reliant on that, you know, magic ball by someone by, you know, Harry Kane dropping in and, 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 you know, pushing past the front line. Uh, in front of Declan Rice, I've got uh, James Madison and Jack Grealish. Now, this is a very attacking lineup, but I want to also say that James Madison has actually been playing this hybrid eight role for Leicester sometimes when they sort of uh, set up to play against the bigger teams. And I think he's more than capable of tracking back and helping out where necessary which means if I do have this lineup, I am inclined for Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who can then help out in transition with Declan Rice. And that's my only reason that I would include AWB versus Trent Alexander-Arnold, who would provide that extra attacking outlet, which in this team, you might not need. Uh, up top, we got Harry Kane. And on the right, we have Jaden Sancho. I think he's a proven goal scorer and assist maker. And I think Kane will be very happy to have him. And uh, finally, I've got Marcus Rashford because I love him. <laughs> Fair enough. And, and some good arguments, I think. Uh, like we've all three said, it's different options, different teams, and a lot of selection headaches for Southgate coming up. So uh, hopefully it comes home, like Jackie said, or stays home since it's going to be in England. Uh, but We'll, we'll maybe get back together closer to the Euros, Nikesh, and, and talk about more England and Euros and, and the predictions. So that wraps it up, guys. It's been a longer episode, but I think it's been fun. We've covered a lot of uh, stuff here. And Nikesh, from Jackie and myself, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I know you've been supporting us from, from the sidelines, but it's good to have you uh, on the pitch, so to speak. Yeah, I want to thank you guys so much for bringing me on. And, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed chatting with you guys about everything football and everything Man United and everything Chelsea, you know. So uh, it's, it's, it's really nice to finally sort of have that input after listening for so long and, and giving you remarks on the side. I know uh, Jackie and Rahul would have been tired of me sort of <laughs> putting in my two cents afterwards. But uh, no, I want to thank you guys for having me on. And uh, it's, been, it's been really fun. Oh, we appreciate the feedback and we encourage you and everyone that listens uh, to share it with us because that's how we'll improve and we haven't been doing it for that long. But uh, thank you very much. And to the listeners, please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chell. So you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're also on Twitter and Instagram, so do engage with us. And as always, like I said, send us your feedback. And we will be back next week to do a Manchester United review and another big game against Liverpool. So we'll do a preview for that. But until then, stay safe and up the Chelsea.